The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Glory Glory to you, Lord Christ. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, I pray that you would help us, show us here and now with great clarity the freedom that you have given us in your spirit because of Jesus' death and resurrection. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now, just a preliminary uh, word of warning. If I let out a uh, gasp or yelp, it is not likely because I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. It is because a sudden pain is uh, coming up from my back because V. Bennett got a little too crazy in the gym the other day. Now, I'm up here under the assumption that most of you don't really care what I have to say right now. That was supposed to be taken humorously. That tip was given to me in a podcast I listened to on the way home from church last week. Uh, And then he said this to preachers. He cited uh, the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, uh, and Kierkegaard evidently said that preachers should always begin with paganism. And if I may be a bit self-congratulatory, I actually had that thought for this sermon before he even suggested that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start with the Satanic Bible. Now, everyone is looking to their neighbor at their uh, left or right and saying, what is going on here? Uh, so, the Satanic Bible. Now, a week and a half ago, I had a discussion with some high schoolers, and uh, we were just having a discussion about Christianity, religion, and atheism. And so we read a piece from this, uh, this book called The Satanic Bible, and, and the chapter is called Life After Death Through Fulfillment of the Ego. Now, here's what one paragraph uh, said that I think is really central to our point tonight. It says in here, Life is the one great indulgence, death the one great abstinence. To a person who is satisfied with his earthly existence, life is like a party, and no one likes to leave a good party. By the same token, if a person is enjoying himself here on earth, he will not so readily give up this life for the promise of an afterlife about which he knows nothing. Now, you might be interested to know that one of the students quickly piped up and said, I agree with that. So here's what you have in this. You have an Epicurean philosophy of life, an outlook on life that sort of eat, drink, and be merry because it is characterized by hopelessness. 
And so when meaninglessness, when hopelessness is what defines us, the Satanic Bible is right. Eat, drink, and be merry. You've got to make it a good party because here and now is all that matters. There is no hope for the future, says the Satanic Bible. We are only individuals who are left to craft our own story. Because death hedges us in, and we don't know what lies beyond death, so make it a good party. Now, in a similar vein, uh, a couple years ago I watched a TED Talk. Uh, there was a philosopher named Stephen Cave who, who gave a talk, and he uh, gave this talk called The Four Stories We Tell Ourselves About Death. Now, in that, he traces um, four common ways people in history have, have talked about how to deal with death. And he basically says that our lives are like a book. We have a beginning and an end, and all that really matters is that you make your life a good story because we do not know what lies beyond death. So if there's one outlook that pervades postmodern Europe and America, postmodern Birmingham, Alabama, the high schoolers who are growing up in our midst here and now, it is sheer hopelessness that characterizes their life. And though the current presidential campaign seems to promise a sort of shared vision, a hope for the future, a hope for a renewed America, it's easy to say that in general, hopelessness is what characterizes America nowadays. You see, we as Americans no longer have a plotted story and no longer have a plotted narrative past, present, and future where we are going somewhere. No, in postmodern America and in postmodern Europe, in postmodern Birmingham, Alabama, our story is going nowhere. To use the off-sided example, two world wars and a holocaust have eroded much of our hope in future progress. So, where do we go? Well, Apple gives us one answer. In their iPhone 5S ad, one line said, I'll be the hero of my storybook. Or their iPad Air commercial, what will your verse be? You see, when there is no longer a collective vision for the future, when all we have is hopelessness, all we have left is to craft our individual good party. That's all we have left. And so, anxiety is what characterizes our life because we have no idea what is in store for the future. But... But over and against that meaningless way of looking at life, uh, over and against that message that says there is no future, we have heard this morning, as Bethany has read to us, we have heard a message, a new message. God has given us a story. He has taken us out of our story, our individual narrative, and placed us in his story. And so it's fascinating to look at the three passages that we have been given uh, from Luke, from Genesis, from Philippians. And I tried to get us all to, uh, to read that here in the service, but I don't have enough power. Uh, so we only read two of them. But let's consider all three for just a moment. So we start with Genesis 15, which we just heard from. So in Genesis 15... God comes to renew his covenant promise, this, this binding relationship with Abraham. Verse 5 says in Genesis 15, And he brought him outside and said, 
Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. So shall your offspring be. And then God identifies himself, verse 7. I am the Lord who dot dot dot. I am the Lord who did this and this, and I am going to do this, he says to Abraham. I am the Lord who brought you out of this land, and I'm going to give you a new land. Abraham is taken out of one story, namely his story, and he is given a totally new story. Abraham is now in a story that is going somewhere. No longer defined by his past, namely Ur of the Chaldees, but now in God's grace, totally defined by God's future. Verse 13, the announcement continues. God says to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there. But afterward, they shall come out. God says to Abraham, You are going to have offspring. They are going to live in a country, namely Egypt, but I am going to redeem and rescue them. I'm going to take them out of this land and give them a totally new land. I'm going to take them out of this story and give them a totally new story. Verse 14, they shall come out with great possessions. Israel, as they will be called, will no longer be defined by an enslaved being an enslaved people. No, they will now be God's free people to worship him. So in short, God comes to Abraham, takes him out of one plot line and gives him a totally new plot line. In other words, Abraham's story is going somewhere. They will possess a real future in a real land. But now fast forward to the gospel reading. Around 8030, Abraham's offspring are a real people, and they dwell in a real city, namely Jerusalem. But we learn that the religious leaders have forsaken the story they have been given in Abraham. So Jesus says to them, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken. Having given up the story they have received from God in Abraham, having given that up to go their own way, Jesus says, have it your way. Having chosen to cut their own path, God gives them up to their own selves. And now fast forward to the passage that we actually didn't read, but I will now read it from Philippians, the church at Philippi. Chapter 3, verse 17, it says, Paul says to the church at Philippians, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body, by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for my joy and my crown, 
Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. The group at Philippi, this church, they have heard the good news that Jesus, though once dead, now lives. They too, like us, have been swept up into God's story. Just as Abraham was taken out of his plot line and given a totally new plot line, just as Israel was given a new plot line, rescued out of their old story, so too the church at Philippi. It was God who did this and this, and He is going to do this. And so, too, even for us here and now in Birmingham, Alabama, at Church of the Advent, God says to us, I am the Lord your God who dot dot dot. I am the Lord your God who did this and this, and I am going to do this and this. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from your past, and I am giving you a totally new and free future. In other words, Adventers, our story is going somewhere. Over and against the meaninglessness of life that postmodern 21st century America tells us, over and against that message, God says to us in our midst here and now, no, the story is going somewhere because I have delivered you from your past. We have a free future. No longer having to eat, drink, and be merry. No longer having to make a good party because of sheer meaninglessness. We have been given a free future. We here have heard a new word. Why? Because Jesus of, Na- of Nazareth, though once dead, now lives. Because the God of Abraham, because the God of Israel, raised Jesus from the dead. And now Jesus reigns in victory. And this is precisely the story that we rehearse each and every week here at the Advent. It is actually the point of the whole liturgy, the point of the whole service. In just a few minutes, we're going to confess the Nicene Creed together. The church has throughout our history confessed that God is Father, Son, and Spirit, and He is entering into history to rescue us. Points from the Nicene Creed that we will soon confess together. God, maker of heaven and earth, the eternal Son, for us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven. That same Son, He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. That same Son, He suffered. He rose again on the third day. That same Son, He ascended to the right hand of His Father and now leads His people by the Spirit of love He and His Father have. And that same Son, He will one day bring all history to its appointed end. The story, my friends, it is going somewhere. This is the story we are rehearsing. Here and now, it is the point of the whole liturgy. And so too, in just a few moments, we will gather around a real table with real bread and real wine because we know the story is going somewhere. We have heard the good news, namely, the good news that Jesus lives to triumph. The good news that we receive love because Jesus has conquered death. The good news that Jesus now lives. He lives to triumph with the spirit of love He and His Father have. The good news that Jesus is shown to be victorious over all enemies. The good news that because Jesus now lives, 
we too, as the new Israel, as God's new people, we have a free future and it is certain. The good news that the story is going somewhere. There is coming a day where we will gather in a real new creation around real banquet tables with a real Jesus where we, he will give real gifts, real food, and real drink to us as his people. We have heard the conversation of heaven. As Paul said to the Philippians, he now says to us, you now know that your citizenship is no longer here in this good party that you make for yourself. So now in this Lenten season, where we gather together to give space to prepare for the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, Paul says to us, and Genesis says to us, and the Gospel says to us, to all of us here who are steeped in a culture that says life is meaninglessness and there is no hope, God says, I have delivered you from your past. I am the Lord your God who did this and this. I took you out of your story and have given you my story in Jesus Christ and by the Spirit. No longer giving ourselves over to sheer hopelessness, but now knowing that we await a real future. We no longer have to make life a good party because we are free as God's people. So what might we do in response to this good news? Not mustering up something in and of ourselves, but praying like that old prayer would have us pray. Almighty God, which dost see that we have no power of ourselves to help ourselves, keep Thou us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls, that we may be defended from all adversities which may happen to the body, and from all evil thoughts which may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ. Amen.